Hello and welcome to this week's Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches. For those of you who love to look at the game in minute detail, my name's Harry Brooks, I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined as always by Richard. Hello mate. Hi mate, how are we doing, you alright? Yeah, good. I think first things first, we've got to apologise for uh, failing to produce a podcast last week. We've just been, believe it or not, despite lockdown, pretty snowed under with... Uh, <laughs> With the going-ons in football. So, um, no, we do apologise for that. So, to make up for it, we unlocked um, my analysis of the Hudson Adoy movement on Patreon. So, um, to be honest, we need to talk about Patreon more often, to be honest. Because, uh, you know, we need, to get, we need to get it out there that, you know, we are on a Patreon now. Um, yeah, We don't talk about it enough. So, yeah. So, you know, if, if you are interested in more content from us, then uh, you can join our Patreon. Um, the links are all on our pages, uh, my page and Richard's and the Coaches View uh, page on Twitter. So you can do that. But yeah, to make up for last week, we uh, we released the um, Colin Hudson-Odoi movement um, where I analyse a certain thing he does. Um, so yeah, check it out. But, um, back to normal this week, back to normal. And we've got a pretty good discussion to talk about, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, there's been quite a lot going on in football. And um, what we're going to talk today is, is, is about one of the things that I think is, is quite prevalent. So uh, yeah, quite a lot to talk about, mate, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about strikers and um, how they've kind of changed over the years, um, what we think they could turn into again in the future, and then we're going to finish off by doing a title roundup, um, looking at the, the title races across the top five leagues in Europe. So, um, busy, 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 but let's crack off with talking about strikers. So, Richard, I think that probably the best place to start is to talk about maybe how the striker role has changed over the last few years and how maybe it's changing again. So do you want to kick us off with how you think it's developed over the years? Yeah, 100%, mate. I think um, I think that's clear that it's, that it's changed dramatically. So um, obviously we're blessed at the moment if we're looking across, uh, looking across the top leagues, looking across Europe in particular. Um, we're, we're looking at some amazing strikers still um, plying their trade and, and banging in goals left, right and centre. It seems to be every week that uh, Ronaldo breaks some record or another. Um, and obviously, Ibrahimovic just passed 500 goals the other day, I think. Um, and so these records just keep getting broken and broken and broken. And, and we're really, really fortunate at the moment to um, to be in a time where there's, there's, there's really an unbelievable amount of, of elite strikers. And, and we'll come on to those in a minute and, and the different categories. But really, you asked about how rollers change. So strikers is probably the wrong word nowadays to use. So I don't know how you would categorize um, these players, but it's changed from being um, what we like a classic center forwards who would be getting on the, on the end of crosses um, and pretty much stay within the width of the 18-yard box. It's changed dramatically into players who are much more, uh, much more able to run the channels, much more athletic, much more able to, to carry the ball, uh, to dribble with the ball, and they have much more different um, positions that they tend to take up on the pitch. So I think the, the role has changed dramatically. I think if we go back uh, not that long, when I started watching football and when I was playing football, most teams were playing 4-4-2. So you, t- you had a strike partner. There were strike partnerships. Now that still exists. We still do see strike partnerships. But now the more prevalent sort of formations tend to be a 4-3-3 or some variation of that. So you start to see much more um, forwards becoming wide forwards as well. And this amalgamation of the two. So I think that, you know, centre forwards, not a thing of the past. There are still centre forwards and we can talk about that as well. But that's sort of, that 
sort of changed role of the forwards, where that where you tend to see them pick up possession, where they become a threat from, and then also the attributes that go along with that. Would you agree with that, Harry? Yeah, I think you know, obviously football goes in cycles and teams and you know, clubs, they're constantly having to adapt as, you know, teams and managers and players become accustomed to what's normal and find new ways to win games. So obviously as you said, for a while it seemed to be that the classic um, strike partnerships and then obviously there was a, a change where teams maybe looked to fill up the midfield a bit more. So the yeah. striker was more of a lone striker, so had to do more, had to be more all action. Um, I think that obviously in, in, in the, the previous cycle of football, we really saw um, the value and the increasing value of goal-scoring wide players. Um, players would cut in and provide consistent goals. I mean, a good way to compare it, actually, it was quite a funny one where, uh, where it was on... Monday Night Football where Roy Keane was on once and they were comparing the Man United 1999 team to the mm. to his current Liverpool and Roy Keane couldn't work out um, why Jamie Carragher didn't pick Ryan Giggs um, and Jamie Carragher's reason was well Ryan Giggs scored I think three goals in that season when they won the treble um, yeah. you know, one of the greatest wild players of all time and he compared it to Sadio Mane who has scored 20 plus or something and mm. it's because the roles were different because back then the wide place we've seen was more of a supplier. They were deeper uh, because you had two strikers. And again, football's just kind of changed where, as I said, teams have been looking to fill out the midfield more, um, play with a lone striker, that has to be more all action, but looking to more goals through wide players typically cutting in. So, you know, you've seen yeah. in the last cycle of football, you saw, I mean, the list is endless. The likes of Iron Robin, um, Mohamed Salah, obviously at Liverpool, who's still obviously flying Gareth Bale uh, Neymar the, the, the uh, in a lot of sides now or in at least in the last 10 or so years the main goal for it actually came from out wide because there's a new way to find goals and that is something that I think we saw because of teams looking to fill out the midfield more because they were and therefore going for a lone striker they became more all-rounded and they had to find goals in other ways and goals across the pitch um, and I just think it happened because of the change of cycle in football yeah I think like, like you said football's changed a little bit in, in the in the way the teams approach um, how to attack and defend and obviously transitions become really important so transition and counter-attack and, um, and the high press and those kind of things and that lends itself to you know quick counter-attacks and therefore you know you, you you tend to see less you don't see it's not gone out of the game it still exists obviously um, but you tend to see less slow build-up of play yeah um, it tends to be much more of an end-to-end game. I was watching Sevilla against Dortmund last night, and while every game in, involving Dortmund is basically end-to-end, yeah, that's probably a bad example. <laughs> you are getting more and more games um, which are end-to-end football and less of this slow build-up. So traditionally, in a game with slow build-up, what you might be doing is is looking to stretch the opposition's defence and find the find the movement or find the gap where you can slide a pass in or cross the ball for a strong header of the ball, which is what we used to see in the Premier League, which is why. If you look at the top of the Premier League goal-scoring charts, uh, players like Alan Shearer, um, obviously Terry Sheringham's quite high up there, uh, Les Ferdinand's quite high up there, these unbelievable uh, headers of the ball. This is, this is one aspect of goal-scoring that hasn't come out of the game. I think there's still, still some terrific headers of the ball. Jimenez is my favourite in the Premier League at the moment. Um, but that's become a little bit less because there's less of a slow build-up of play um, and more of a quick transition. So on a quick transition, you need pace, you need players to be direct. 
And so that's where we see these wide forwards start to come from. Although what I'm, I'm really pleased about, and I love watching it, is we do actually have still quite a lot of variety of strikers, forwards, whatever you want to call them, um, yeah. working at a high level at the moment. So if you think about just in the Premier League, you've got the likes of, uh, if you look at the, you know, the, the goal scorers over the last few seasons, so Salah, obviously high up, uh, Harry Kane, who would be more of a traditional um, centre forward in some ways, in other ways, yes, he does. I think he strives both worlds, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, he's not a completely wide forward, obviously, but then he's not a, he's, you couldn't categorize him strictly as an old school centre forward either. Um, then you've got players like Vardy, who's, I think, very unique in terms of um, playing on his pace. And then he's, he's, he's a very much um, a penalty box finisher as well. So, like a fox in the box type. Um, and then, of course, Rashford, you know, one of the new generation, who's this complete um, amalgamation of uh, centre forward and wide forward. So, I think it's really cool that we're seeing like lots of variety of centre forward as well. Um, and there's still a place for the centre forward that um, doesn't necessarily contribute, like we've seen these crazy numbers from the likes of Haaland, you know, that contribute a goal again. I think that's, that's really important to know as well that. It's not, a, it's not just about goal return. Um, and I think there's some good examples of that as well, H. Well, I think that's been the biggest change. I think that years ago, and I'm talking, you know, before maybe the era of 2005 or something like that, you know, a striker was seen as someone who you're only a successful striker if you score goals. Um, yeah. Obviously, there was, obviously there's, there's always uh, anomalies um, to that. But generally speaking, a striker was judged on their goals and I think that just the biggest change is now how strikers or at least in the last 15 or so years have been judged more on goals it's almost now seen that actually goals perhaps aren't enough for a lot of strikers um, or for a lot mm. of teams um, well, I also think situ- like there's been there's what's changed as well just quickly is um, the expectations I remember when if a goal scorer if, a, if your centre forward could get one in two this is a phenomenal season you know, if you play yeah. 40 games, we've got 20 goals. That's a great season. A one and two ratio is fantastic. I still think it is. But now we're seeing th- th- that's been blown out of the water. Now, whether that's because teams are more attacking, maybe there's more goal scoring. Um, but I think since since Messi and Ronaldo, um, I think they're the ones who changed that personally. They've made it normal. <laughs> and it's not normal to be scoring almost at a goal a game. Um, yeah. And we're seeing that. So I think that's sort of changed as well. And I think you're right. Maybe the, maybe the attention on just purely goals has shifted a little bit. Um, that it's, sometimes goals aren't enough to keep a player in the team, for example. I think one of the biggest reasons for that is the art of defending, as we spoke about in a podcast previously not too long ago. The art yeah. of defending isn't lost, but it's uh, certainly not cherished as much as it was um, a while ago, you know, and... Uh, well, I had a quick scan of the table earlier, and it's only Manchester City. I just scanned it this morning. Only Man City have conceded less goals than they've played games. Every other team has conceded more goals than they've played games. Um, I mean, which that's, that, 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 is, that's incredible. That, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you just think of some of the greatest teams ever. Um, and just, obviously, they have the goal-scoring threat, but how much they pride themselves on being completely secure at the back. And I just think that, you know... Yeah where the technical aspects and the athleticism and players have been developed, I think, more and more in terms of an attacking sense. Um, you know, obviously, the, the sports science has uh, 
has obviously improved massively the 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 variety of training I'd imagine the access the the analysts around now just in terms of like the the, the detail now available to to improving players is so much more vast nowadays and mm. I just think that obviously these forwards are now taking advantage of that and coming up actually against defenders that aren't as good at defending anymore so it's not inevitable but it's more likely um it'll be I'm sure they would have done but it'll be fascinating to see what the numbers of Messi and Ronaldo would have been like when you had more of them defenders like Paolo Maldini and mm. ones like that but then again that's not to knock them they still played against those incredible defenders and they scored goal after goal so but generally speaking, I, I think a lot think... of that is due to the, the the just not appreciating the art of defending as much nowadays. But you know that's that's a that's a discussion for a, another day, a big big topic. Uh, I'm sure you're about to say something. I, yeah, I was going to say. I, well, one thing that I I miss a little bit is we used to have um, pure strike partnerships and this um, this telepathic combination because you you have a two up front, and I'm thinking. Um, uh, Shearer and Sutton was a great link-up, great partnership for many years. Um, uh, Sheringham and Klinsman at, uh, at Tottenham formed a great relationship there, and you'd have these, you'd have these partnerships. York and Cole was unbelievable um, for a little while at, uh, at Manchester United, and these partnerships would form between the two centre forwards. Um, one tended to be a little bit more dominant in terms of goals than the other. And I think now where we see three forwards, so if you think of, if you look at um, the forward line of Liverpool, for example, um, Salah, Firmino and, um, and Mane, maybe we're seeing a little bit less of that um, pure link-up between them and a little bit more. Not that it's gone completely. I mean, there was a, there was a, there was a goal the other day which Firmino made uh, with an unbelievable sort of 360 um, flick inside the box uh, to set up, a, I think it was Salah for the goal. Um, but maybe there's just a little bit less of that partnership feel and th- there's almost a bit more of an individu- individualistic feel about the forwards. Would you agree with that? Or my, I'm my not too sure. Of... I just think there's more variety in how link-up players nowadays because you're talking about the strike partnerships from a while ago. Now, like we said earlier, perhaps strike partnerships could be a bit more basic because there was two of them up front and they were seen as scoring goals. And um, But nowadays... Like we said, or at least in the last fifteen or so years, it wasn't even seen as enough for strikers to just score goals um, because you had a lot of mm. striker, generally speaking, and wide players coming into support and filling up the midfield more. Um, so strikers had to do more. Now I just think that you've just seen a different kind of combination. You've seen more combination where maybe there's well, we've seen already, as you said, there's there's more types of complete striker nowadays. So we saw the other day with. Firmino and Mo Salah. So Firmino is very much the the drop-in, the creative fulcrum where mm. Um, mm. clever link-up play, clever flicks um, with Salah and Mane. Um, and he's actually not judged on goals at all. And then you have yeah. more, then you had more, let's say, the Drogba, where he would play back to goal, pin the centre-back and, and sort of bounce it off the Lampard and make runs beyond him. Um and then there's obviously the, the 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 complete striker like Harry Kane who drops in and plays raking long passes over behind the defence. So I just think that you're seeing mm. perhaps more of a variety in link-up play rather than the obvious, I don't know, typical big man, little man, or yeah, that's the more a good obvious, point. The more obvious point. strike partnerships because perhaps there's more players that they have to link up with. You know that it's not yeah. just now about what the duo up front do. It's now about who else does. Um, the likes of Harry Kane and Firmino and, and Drogba, they're bringing other players into play now. So while you're not just seeing 
just the two strikers link up and almost being told we'll go on then because, you know, as we said, spoke about the Man United travel. I mean, Giggs, three goals. I don't think Beckham scored that many goals. Um, Scholes didn't really get more than 10 goals a year. Keane certainly didn't. So it all came from the strikers. So the striker link-up play yeah. was more obvious. Now you're just seeing strikers that still have link-up play. Of course, they have to have link-up plays. Arguably, not more important, but they're, they have to be more complete as individuals. And you're just seeing different types of link-up play, I think. And I think the more so than ever, you're seeing, like you said earlier, a wider variety of complete strikers. I think that yeah. in recent years, you're actually... The striker that just scored goals certainly isn't extinct, but they're certainly less prevalent, or they have been less prevalent, in successful sides. It's very rare that you're seeing sides, or in the last 15 or so years, certainly in the bigger leagues, that play two up top. So if you do just have a striker, with all due respect, let's say a Dwight Gale, um, just a poacher, even Jermaine Defoe, arguably, you know, there's of course still a place in the game for these players, but the size that they can play for is less and less because they haven't got much more to their game than just goals. Now, I do actually think it might change again. I do think that teams might look for the striker now to become more of a fulcrum. For yeah, I don't think goals, it's ever going to. I don't think it's ever going to come out of the game because we're seeing we're seeing more and more um, uh, emphasis on the on the quick counter attack and then more emphasis on this team's ability to. Um, to break the line quickly, get to the byline and cut back. So this fox-in-the-box type of striker, um, I still think there's there's a premium on that. And I'm thinking probably the best striker or, or the one at the moment who gets labelled as the best, although that you know that term best is a bit, you know, loose really. It's unfair, isn't it? But um, Lewandowski for the last several years, you know, has been labelled as one of the best strikers, obviously. And, you know, typically speaking, he does his work in the penalty box. Um, yeah. So, and he is a, a classic poacher style, you know, the ultimate poacher um, in terms of his goal scoring. You don't see him pulling out wide and running at players. That's not his game. He does play within the confines of the 18 yard box. Um, and he's at the very, very top. And he's still banging in goals at a ridiculous rate. So, I don't think that's going to come out of the game for sure. Um, no, no, it won't come out of the game. It never has come out of the game. But what I was saying is just, and Lewandowski brings more than just goals. But what I mean is that just yeah. the pure goal scorers, they have. They, there's been less size that they can play for nowadays. Whereas I think the years. Yeah, he's years not. Ago, I'm not saying he's a pure goal scorer, but you're not going to miss him. You're not going to miss the other things about his game, are you? No, we're talking about. We're talking about. You're talking about one of the elite strikers. Let's talk about more yeah. the generic striker. And I'm not using this as an example, but obviously someone like a Dwight Gale. Now yeah. a Dwight Gale years and years ago, could probably play for a lot of teams. In the last 15 years or so, there's been not too many teams at the high level he can play for because he doesn't provide much more than goals. Mm. But I do think it can come around and change again because I think that you're seeing a lot of, obviously a lot of teams and stars, they relied on, we've said it so many times, relied on patterns of play and, you know, almost, almost not overthinking, but really trying to like find specific ways to score goals. And you're actually seeing a lot of teams now, or you saw a lot of teams, that just didn't really pose a threat. And it sounds yeah. like a really basic thing, but you can look as good as you want. You can progress the ball as much as you want. We've seen a big issue with Brighton this year. It all yeah. looks great. But you've got to be a threat. You've got to be competent or uh, good in either box. You've got to obviously be defending. But in terms of strikers that we're talking about, there has to at least be that threat. And if you don't have that yeah. threat on goal, well, then you're not going to score goals. It's as simple as that. And we saw the problem with Aston Villa, have... well, we Villa last year. 
Their striker, yeah. not any threat on goal. No threat. Mm. Now, of course, the likes of Jack Grealish, superb. But look at what signing Ollie Watkins has done. He even went through a goal-scoring drought of like, I don't know, six games or so. It didn't matter. He was still providing that threat. He was providing that potency up front. He provided that, the, 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 the point up front to where there was a threat in behind on goal and bringing others into I play. Think it's about having, I think it's about having multiple threats, isn't it? So look at City. As often as, you, as many as you can, yeah. League. So City have basically, you know, they've opened up a 10-yard, uh, sorry, a 10-point gap now without really having um, a central striker, uh, you know, for, for a lot of the season. Um, yeah. They've, they've, they've got goals from everywhere. Foden's, Foden's chipped in, Mahrez is scoring goals. Obviously, Gundogan's filled that role really well, scoring goals. Uh, Sterling's scoring goals. You know, yes, Jesus has been scoring goals as well, but Aguero's been out, you know, the entire season. They, they, they've got to the top without that um, one person relied upon to score 25 goals, they've spread the goals around. And um, yeah. yeah, maybe we're seeing with Tottenham, obviously that over-reliance, you could say, on um, on Kane and Son. And when you see one of those out of the team, or God forbid, two of them out of the team, <laughs> <laughs> then if you're not getting a variety of goals from different places, then it's kind of a problem. I watched a little bit of the Everton City game last night and I thought Richarlison was really good, um, especially in the first half. And... I was surprised to see that that was, that was his third league goal of the season. Um, but they're doing fine because they've got, they've got threat from different places. So Hamid scores goals. Um, you've got Calvert-Lewin who's been popping up with a lot of goals. So they've got multiple threats. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I think it's so important. I think that teams and managers, they need to try and find as much threat across the width of the pitch as possible. And yeah. it sounds like an obvious thing to say, but it's really not that easy to find. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that you've seen Liverpool front three be so dominant because there's no angle, there's no area of the pitch where there isn't a threat on goal. You've got Mane that can pop up and score from the left. He can pop up and score central. Firmino gets a goal now and again. And obviously you've got the threat from um, wide right from Salah who can do it there and cut in. And actually, I think it's interesting to say he's slightly not quite a striker, but for me, the, the hardest position to find in football at the moment is consistent output of goals from that position of the pitch from the right-hand side and I think that teams mm. big teams they're crying out for that so you know at the moment Spurs they've got tons of goals from the left tons of goals from centre Sun and Kane not really any goals coming from the right so you're kind of in terms of threat you're cutting off that kind of third channel of the pitch I know that's quite a simplistic way to talk about it you know that's why you know it's a shame that hasn't worked out but something like Gareth Bale could have been so incredible because he was Obviously, they made a career of providing threat from that side. And, yeah, you know, it's about providing as much threat now from across the width of the pitch. And obviously, where you had two strikers before, then you did have that. Because obviously, two strikers, they're not just going to stay central. They would pull out wide as well. There'd be threats from all across the width of the pitch. Where there's now a lot of the time the lone striker, well, okay, you're now relying on goals, or you need goals at least, if you don't have them in fielders, from the two other wide forwards. Now, goals from the left wing are more consistent to find because obviously, generally speaking, more players are right-footed. Goals consistently from the right wing are much more difficult to find. And that's why I think there's a premium price on those players nowadays. And there will be a premium price because they're needed because wide forwards, they're still vital in a game. We haven't yet gone back to the big, big sides going back to two up top. Whether we ever will, though, I don't know. I do think that there's more of a reliance. Again, it's gone back around to the, the number nine being the focal point of goals in biggest teams. I do think that's going back to that. Um, I think the most big size nowadays, they look to their number nine 
to to provide most of the goals. I know it's, it's easy to say that when the two biggest sides in the, in the Premier League are, have, don't do that. But generally speaking, across Europe, I think that a lot of big sides they rely on their number nine <coughs> typically. Um, I think a, I think a forward will always be will always be prominent. I think they'll always be expected to to get the chunk of the goals. But it's just about creating goals from different places and and having a variety across the front. So I think what we're seeing in some teams is having like we spoke. Um, Lewandowski, more of a classic uh, forward, like you said. He provides the bulk of the goals. But they score goals from all over. Um, Man City and Liverpool, okay, they don't really have what you'd, what you'd say is a, is a classic forward. They've got two wide forwards, Liverpool, and um, a skillful uh, sort of a creative fulcrum in, in, um, in uh, Firmino. Uh, and then, obviously, we know what Man City do as well. But I, I, I do think they'll always be... Um, they'll always be uh, room for a centre forward who's expected to score a, the bulk of the goals. Um, so I don't think that'll come out of it. But I think the pace of the game now, I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. So I don't see a return to two up top. Um, I was going to say, where, so, where, I was gonna say, to wrap up this kind of conversation, yeah. where do you see it going with the strikers? Well, I mean, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the strikers performing at the top of the moment. And then I've categorised that you've got veterans at the moment so I look across the top European leagues, Suarez banging in goals. By the way, worst sale ever. Um, yeah. Getting rid of Luis Suarez. Yes. Yeah. You know, and to a title rival. So, well, they're going to win the league. Well, we actually, well, no, well, no, yeah. no, we're going to get onto that. Sorry, we're going to get onto that. But yeah, let's go. The <laughs> they might not win the league. But anyway, Suarez still scoring goals. He's at the top of the charts. Messi, but, you know, where does he play? <laughs> um, and then uh, Ibrahimovic and Ronaldo. So I think we're blessed at the moment to have four. Um, all-time great, um, still scoring uh, bucket loads of goals um, in the top leagues. But then, if you look underneath that, so these these guys are you know coming to the end of their careers. Maybe not with Ronaldo. You probably keep going to these forty or something like that. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> then you've got players in their prime, which is Lukaku, Salah, and Kane. And already you can start to see a shift away um, into more fully rounded, more complete forwards. And that's, they're, they're players in their prime at the moment. So, you know, between the ages of, let's say, 24 and, and 29, this sort of age. Um, and then you're looking at the next generation, which is, for me, Mbappe, Rashford, Haaland. And then it's completely different again, isn't it? So these, this new generation of, of forwards, for want of a better word, is all about that um, wide, uh, threat from wide, um, the complete forward that's not going to stand in a six-yard box and just be there to, to finish. Or not only do that, for example, they're going to do the whole package. So yeah. if you looked at, I don't know if you saw the game, PSG Barca this week, um, obviously a big statement from Mbappe um, with the hat-trick. And he had that. He had a, he had a poacher's finish. Um, he had a couple of poachers finishes really inside the box. And then he had the one where he, he pulled out wide. And if you watch the game... He was a threat on that wide uh, left flank the entire match. Um, Haaland is the ultimate um, complete forward, which seems strange to say considering he's, what is he, 20, 21? Um, and he's pulling wide left, wide right. Um, and and he's, a, he's a poacher in the box as well. So I think that's what we're seeing. I think it's going to go more into that direction where athleticism and pace is going to be really, um, uh, really key. Um, and you're going to see that more and more. I don't see a return, not just yet anyway, to the classic just stay inside the box centre forward. 
No, certainly not. I don't see it going that way. I think that it'll still be, I think wide forwards are still going to be a premium for most sides. I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. I just think that what we will see is perhaps where a lot of the major sides look to what looked to those wide forwards in recent years for the premium sorts of goals. I think that we're perhaps going to go back to actually, generally speaking, looking for the pure number nine, the complete number nine, and they'll be back to, they'll be relied upon more so for the, for the general source of goals in the team. Um, well, I think they, I think their skills are different, aren't they? So you've got at the like elite a general level number anyway, nine, like you I think, said. I think, well, it's just at the elite level anyway, because maybe sort of slightly slow, lower down, obviously, and you know the likes of mid-table sides and even Europa League sides and relegation sides. Obviously, they are they they have been relied on. They rely on strikers. They it's very rare that you'll see a a, a team fighting relegation as an incredible goal scoring wide forward. They're generally picked up by the bigger side. So I think that I think that that's never changed. I think that those sides that are slightly lower down have always, you know, looked to strikers for their premium Yeah, and if goals. we talk about the lower leagues as well, mate, that's gonna and the lower leagues, of course, yeah. More of a classic, which is another interesting that's a whole conversation, you know, the different basic different level or the different style of football seen at the top of the game and then slightly lower down, completely different. Um, yeah. But I think I think teams may adopt, you know, you've got different types of finishes, haven't you? Different types of um, skill sets. So you've got a striker who just works inside the box, who's expected to be able to finish in one touch, two touches maximum, head the ball, um, get to the near post quickly. That that type of Cavani type of striker, you know, yeah, um, who's sort of razor sharp in his movement, always alive, um, really always looking for an opportunity to score goals, be it with a toe poke or off his knee, doesn't matter. Right, and then you've got this other type, which is able to basically create a goal for themselves. So, pick up the ball forty-five yards from goal, you know, hugging the left touch line, and that's now a threat on goal. Um, yeah. And they, they're very, very different types of players. Yeah, completely, completely. So, yeah, I think I think it's a fascinating conversation. And I think before we just quickly sort of end finish, I think it's great to see, and I think we've got a. Uh, a new, it's been spoken about a lot because of obviously what they've done this week, midweek, but obviously I think a lot of people were a bit, not disillusioned, but, you know, thinking, well, what's going to happen to football after the Messi-Ronaldo rivalry goes? And, mm. you know, it won't reach those levels, but I think that um, a lot of people now are sort of, because of that and looking for a new rivalry, they're creating the Mbappe-Harland rivalry. Um, <laughs> so I think that's going to be a fascinating thing to look for. Um, but yeah, so that's no, a really interesting conversation. But we're now going to look at the title races across Europe now in the major leagues. I was going to start off with the French League, but I might as well start off with La Liga because I kind of gave away my viewpoints on it earlier, um, <laughs> accidentally. And yeah, I think that the La Liga title race, if we start off with their rich, I think it's I think it's already Atletico's. I really do. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a runaway train, mate. I mean, they're, they're actually only six points clear, but it's with a game in hand. The- yeah, with a game in hand, but it's just the performances, and you don't see them. I don't see them um, slipping up. They're they're a team. They're together. and They're a team, and they've taken advantage they of the just, fact that Real Madrid and Barcelona are going through some some rocky times, and they're very much not teams at the moment. Um, I don't think it gets spoken about enough about just the incredible work that Diego Simeone has done yeah. in that club. It, How I mean, many seasons? I'm actually not too sure. I need to find out. It might be eight or something, but it's got to be seven minimum, yeah. something like that. But you know, it's we say we say right, don't we, about the likes of the style of football that you know managers like Klopp and Guardiola that they 
you know, employ it's and, and the environment is relentless, isn't it? And it yeah. can, and it reaches a stage where if there isn't enough freshening up that it's just physically and mentally exhausting for the place and they can't take any more. And it just, it kind of reaches an impasse. Now, the relentless nature of Simeone, but playing a style of football that's more about discipline and, you know, organisation. I mean, to demand that from the players, I know there has been change at Atletico, but to keep that from the players yeah. and keep that energy and focus and desire, playing a style of football that perhaps isn't as fulfilling in terms of just the gen- general enjoyment sense and to keep that going. And also, it looked like it was kind of reaching the end of Simeone at Atletico. It had kind of reached that impasse for a little bit and it's come back around again to be, you know, arguably going to be likely, well, not arguably, I think that pretty certain going to be the Liga title winners and maybe even do something in the Champions League to get it back around again. And I think it's just incredible work. You've got, as you said, they're a proper team. They're relentless in how they're disciplined and organised. I mean, they've conceded 14 goals this season, makes a mockery of some of the Premier League teams. And then they've got the threat up front of Luis Suarez. Obviously, we know how good he is and how how good he still is. I think Joel Felix is incredible and he has been incredible and it's great to see him flourish this year. Lorente is one of the most versatile footballers in world football. I mean, he could play up front and provide the threat. He can be a, an incredible winger. He could be a central midfielder. He can be a defensive midfielder. He's an incredible footballer. You've just got so much about the Atletico team right now that's there to admire. And where Real Madrid and Barcelona are perhaps going through, maybe not transition periods, but certainly not at their premium, Atletico have seen that and are taking full advantage of that. And I think it's great to see. Well, he's refreshed really well. I mean, like, you know, he's, he's, he's managed, the, the, you know, they sold Partey to um, Arsenal and he was one of their best performers in midfield, but that, that, hasn't, that hasn't made a dent. That hasn't made any impact on them at all. No. Um, you know, it wasn't long ago uh, Griezmann was there. Um, again, they thought, how are we going to replace? That, that hasn't made a dent. Um, the centre-backs they used to have with Godin at the back, that hasn't made a dent. Um, so, absolutely unbelievable recruitment and hats off to the manager, like you said, to have that level of consistency. And I think team is the word. They're the ultimate team. Um, yeah. And that's what people buy into. And it's not like they're just grinding it out. You know, it's not dull to watch. Um, but I do... I, agree I think it's amazing not, to watch. It's not swashbuckling by any by any means. Um, you know, this I was is more not, talking uh, about... Yeah, I was more talking about for the players, you know, as we said, players... Yeah, because it's discipline. Discipline is key. Yeah. Yeah. But it's about discipline. But then again, when I watch football sometimes, I think, well, what's wrong with that? Like, I'm Nothing watching some games. Brilliant and, to think, see. and it's actually, as a player, when you're playing, that's enjoyable as well. It's enjoyable yeah. to like outthink the other team and outfox yeah, yeah. the other team. And I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do a piece actually on, on Barca against um PSG. I'll probably do one of the, the tackle days on. Like a bonus one nice. because that was uh, that's the ultimate example. That's the, the complete difference between Barcelona and Atletico. Barcelona have no pragmatism at all. Yeah. So they approach that game, still wanting to play like it's two thousand and nine. Yeah. Like they've got Iniesta and Javi in midfield, um, and Atletico do the complete opposite. They say, "No, what we've got is this, this, and this. So this is how we have to win the game. Not this is how I'd like to win the game. No, this is how we can win the game given the tools that we have." Barcelona's main problem was that. Um, they thought they could win the game in a certain way, not taking into account that they've got players, certain players who can't run. Now you yeah. can have players who can't run as long as you do, as long as you approach the game a little bit differently. And I think yeah. they'll never do that. They always play 
to their strengths, and that's why you've seen them at the top of the table. Anyway, I went off on a mini rant there. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, Barcelona, um, so we bad. both agree Atletico are going to win the league. Yeah. Right. Now, the next the one I want to talk about, mate, is, uh, oh, go on, then. is Serie A in, uh, in oh, Italy. I was going to leave it to the end because that's the biggest title race. But go on, then. We'll do it now. Right. Serie A. <laughs> talk to me. Yes. Uh, mate, finally. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Finally. It's, see. There's a it's now replaced race. Yeah. me. It's replaced um, the Bundesliga as the, as the league I would watch most aside from the Premier League um, this year. Definitely. I mean, the Bundesliga has still got amazing talents in there and attacking play, but it's, it's far. Look, and this is, this is what's going to hurt Bayern Munich is they're going to stroll this league. Obviously, again, does that make nine? Nine in a row it's going to be? I think it'll be nine um, in a row, won't it? You know, Dortmund have gone with this youth policy, which, okay, you've got some amazing youngsters. We spoke about that. Is that going to work long term? But, and they've just signed up for Meccano as well, that's been announced. So, Odds well, on to, be the fair, to be fair, before you go on, there's really not much to talk about this yeah. league, I don't think. So we might as well get it out of the way now. It is going to be Bayern Munich because of the incompetence yeah. and how the re- the Bundesliga is seen as a developmental league. I do, I've said it quite a few times now. When I watch the Bundesliga, it's like I'm watching an under-18s team or yeah. a league. And it's like... I don't blame Bayern Munich and I don't no, blame Bayern them Munich. for hoovering up the It's play. the rest of the teams that the are like that. The other team's got to get this stuff together. Bayern Munich's like, job but is to win But it's game. almost seen as acceptable. I don't get it. It's because they seem to be doing it the right way or seen as being progressive and developing, it seems as acceptable that they're not winning games. And it's like, well, yeah. no, the idea is to win. And there has to be a things, whether you, whether there's a long-term project, that's different. But at some stage, generally speaking, usually in professional football and sport, it's immediately, winning has to be the most important thing. There has to be an end where winning is becomes the thing. And it yeah. just feels that with those Bundesliga clubs, apart from Bayern, winning is never prioritised. Mm. And, for me, it's, it's it's quite irritating that you're seeing such a high level of sport where winning and isn't prioritised, and there is so much incompetence. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I think so anyway, Bayern teams. Munich again. So let's move on. Don't want to talk about them anymore. Um, Serie A, <laughs> Serie A. Come in, mate. Talk to me. Well, yeah. I mean, a good. Th- it's a good thing for the league. It's a good thing yeah. for the actual product of the league that yeah. you know, just aren't um, aren't at the top of the league this season. And actually, they're, they're a little bit um, they're a little bit behind. So at the top, we're seeing uh, Inter Milan and, and obviously AC Milan big resurgence from then at the top. Roma will feel that they're still in it. Although I'm sorry, Roma fans, I'm not having it too inconsistent. Nah. Juve is sneaking up, um, but I think it's it's a really hard task for Pirlo. That's a transition season, and um, I think we are seeing a, a really really good uh, title race between the two Milan teams, which is fantastic. And I was, think. Well, I was going to say, I think that at the moment it's very, very tight. And I don't think it will become easy for them at all. But I do think that you're going to start to see Inter from now until the end of the season just increase that gap. I think they haven't got European... Well, they, I know they haven't got European football, not even Europa League. They finished fourth in the Champions League group. Um, Conte has proven he can win leagues before. They've just got this relentlessness to them at the moment where they've got all the pieces of the puzzle and it's just working and... You know, they've got a style of play that, you know, if they go ahead in games, then you've had it because the likes of Lukaku and Hakimi on transition and they've got certain players. Just, it just feels like a side right now that has been set up to, to win a league in a season where Juventus are going through the transition period, where AC yeah. Milan, fair play to them. They made a great recovery, but they're not quite ready yet, I don't think. And they'll have European commitments. I just don't think that AC Milan are quite there with- yet. 
I think with AC Milan, they they've they've went with youth and um the team's really young, the squad is really young, despite having uh a 39-year-old up front, um, who's doing unbelievable, by the way. He's still yeah. the heartbeat of the side. And I'm not having anyone who says, Oh, that proves it's a nonsense league or anything like that. Ibrahimovic, like Ronaldo, is an absolute freak. He's in yeah. peak condition and he would be scoring goals in any league. Um yeah. and, and I'm not having anyone say otherwise. But I agree a little bit with what you're saying because they just they're just not as hard edged as Inter. Inter have got um and I think Inter are a bit more set. Personally I prefer watching um AC Milan. Okay. They play with a bit more excitement and it's a bit more unpredictability. Yeah. Um but Inter have got probably the best for me, the best Italian player in the league anyway, which is Barella. Um I don't think that's close. And then they've got key pieces, like you've, you've spoken about Hakimi, uh, Lukaku. Uh, they've got these key elements in place. And, yeah. um, and they, they're just starting to look a little bit more consistent. Like you say, Conte's a proven winner. But it's massive pressure on Conte. Massive. Pioli at AC Milan yeah. can get away. You know, if, they, if they come second, obviously they're going to want to win the league. But if they come second to Inter... And it's not as bad as it will be for Conte if, if they fail be a disaster. to win the league this year. There's no excuses yeah. now. The pieces yeah. have been put in place. It feels like a side that's definitely been set up to win a league, especially in a year where, like we said, Juventus have been going through transition. and They were expected to win it last ready. season. And there's no European football. There's no yeah. European football left. So, no excuses. I think that it's, while it's a great title race at the moment, I do think that it will continue to be a good title race. I, I can, at the moment, just... It's hard to look past into Milan. Um, but they've got to do it. Um, off to France, Ligue 1. Um, yes. Interesting this year. It's not quite the dominance from PSG as usual. Um, obviously, we know that Thomas Tuchel got the sacked and uh, Mauricio Pochettino is there now. And I think that, to be honest, at the moment, Lille, they're at the top. I mean, again, they, they just don't concede goals. Um, they've got different kinds of threats. So they've got, I mean, they've got Yazici who scored. Yazici and Yilmaz, they've both got more than 10 goals this year. Um, Bamba, David, Iconi, um, Weir, obviously uh, the legend Weir's son. Um, and uh, so there's different kinds of threats. Um, but, you know, they, they pride themselves on their ability to just keep clean sheets. I mean, I've got it, I've yeah. got it here. They, they, they haven't conceded a goal in one, two, three, four, five, six games. Mm. They conceded one goal in the, in the seventh game. Then zero goals in the eighth. And one goal in the night. So that's two goals in nine games they've conceded. Um, yeah, brilliant. It, it's so good. But I think that with Pochettino in charge, with obviously just the incredible quality of the PSG players and the firepower of Mbappe, and he's injured at the moment, Neymar, but it's hard to look past with that new manager buzz. Yeah, and I think Pochettino it, being a really good manager, hard to look past PSG. And but especially I think, when Lille also still have European commitments. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that someone else wins it. So I do. I would like Lille to, to cling on. And Leon are far behind as well. So you can never yep. rule them out. Um, but I just think possibly the Champions League might, might prove problematic for uh, PSG. We saw mm. how they, they do raise their game. You know, they're more, they're more likely to drop points um, in the league. They just drop their level a little bit. And we saw, look, Mbappe went through a little bit of a dip. He went through a period where people were not doubting him. That's probably too strong. But he did go through a little bit of a dip. And now we've seen him burst back on and, and score the hat-trick. And, you know, we all know he's a phenomenal player. But 
you know, are they going to take their eye off the ball when you're when you're winning titles as they have been? Um, don't want to say straightforward, but they've been cleaning them up consistently. Um, and then you know, you they got to the final last year. They'll they'll want to go one better this year. It looks like they're really well set. Well, I can't see I can't see Barcelona coming back, so that's them set for the next round. Is that going to make them take their eye off the ball a little bit? I probably don't. I don't see Pochettino maybe allowing that, but. You never know. So there's a chance for Leo. Yeah, of course there's a chance. We first thing to say, but I just think that PSG with the with Pochettino at the helm there and uh, the buzz of a new manager and him being a really, really good manager and the quality, I just think that they'll uh, they'll pull away, but we'll see. Um, to finish off the Premier League and in such a bonkers, chaotic season, <laughs> it's going to have a very predictable end, a little bit of a boring end and it's going to be Man City by at least at least five points, but probably more. Um, more it's that, Man City, yeah. isn't it? It's Man City. Yeah, I mean, we just, spoke they... about it before. In such a chaotic season, the style of football that's going to be prevalent and win most games is the one where players, they don't have to think much extra. They they can rely on yeah. patterns when they're exhausted and go into routines. In a chaotic year, they can just go back onto their routines and rely upon and structure and they can rely on, they can win a game when, the, when it's, they, they, they can make the game a slower pace and win it that way, which is vital when you're just seeing so many games and the, the 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 exhaustion. So I just think a team that can win a game at a slower pace and go back to fall on patterns and have the incredible quality to to make those patterns work again and again and again. Um, it's just Man City's, and they're just going to pull further and further away. And fair play to them. It's just it's an incredible side, isn't it? I think it's just like you said. I'd categorise it as a well-oiled machine, mate. They're just. Um... Like you said, it's patterns of play, isn't it? They know what they're going to do into every going into every game. They've got superior players than most teams. I think it's only Liverpool really you can go toe to toe with them um, and have a shootout. And we see sometimes that goes their way, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but Liverpool have lacked the consistency this season with a few key players out or whatever. Um, but that style has that style has definitely helped uh, Man City a lot. And I think what is it now? Seventeen games on the bounce. 17, 18 something games, like something, something like incredible. that. They go through this incredible run where it's just, it's almost impossible to stop. It's just, they're well, yeah, just so far better, far, so far and away better than the rest right now. And yeah, they're going to win the league what? at cancer. You know what? I do think there's a, there's a number of teams who are super close to being able to put a challenge together um, for next season. I really think there is. And if we're going to have a bit of a more normal season where teams aren't playing, um, the games aren't quite as crammed in, then um, I do see next year being wide open completely wide open City, you know what they I, need I, go on they need a striker <laughs> so they should listen to they should listen to the first part of this podcast yeah and sign, and sign a good old fashioned number striker nine. mate yeah <laughs> <laughs> no they'll probably not go for someone like Lukaku or Haaland and just be so not Dwight Gale you're not having that uh, no not quite not quite sorry Dwight <laughs> um, but they'll probably go for Haaland or Lukaku and be as unstoppable as ever. Um, so, yeah, probably a good place to finish there, Richard. Um, yeah. Strikers, goals, and league title races. A fun podcast. Um, Got to go back to a boring tactical analysis probably next week. But, um, no, I guess it's all that's left for me to do is say thanks to Richard. Thanks, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. Stay safe and see you soon.